0: Would you stand or remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks,
1: be to God. Thanks Christina. All right. Good singing. It's loud. It <laughs> fills the room with joy. It's good. So we're finishing up today. It's our last. In the Creed series, we're on the last two two little lines here of both creeds. And the goal, if you remember, of this whole series that Clay outlined for us, uh, I don't know, 12 or 13 weeks ago, was to kind of walk through what it is that Christians believe and how that should shape our life. It's not just doctrine for the sake of filling our heads up, but the fact that what we believe and what the church believes should shape every day of our lives, that doctrine leads to a certain kind of life. And the way it does that is by we live, living us living into the story, that this creed is not just a set of facts, but actually a story that is told of Jesus and what he's doing to redeem the world. And so as we live into that story, we are changed. And today we come to the final scene, like the epic final ending of the 13-part you know, series, or there's a lot more that's buried in there. But really, we come to the final scene, the climatic scene, the end of the story, and that's where we'll be today. I want to just issue a, a bit of a warning here. Uh, a few things I'm going to say today I think will break some brains or some paradigms or some assumptions, uh, some long-held expectations, uh, and so I'm just saying that up front just so I understand that what I'm saying may not be what you're expecting me to say or what you're expecting to hear. But uh, this is something that we, is firmly rooted in the creed, and the creed being rooted in the scripture. So I invite you to gird up the loins of your mind, as it were, and uh, join us. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father God, we thank you for this story that you, as Father, have sent your Son, Jesus, to come down from heaven to take on flesh. Uh, to die, to be resurrected, to ascend, to, to return. And in the meantime, you have sent us your spirit to live, to animate our lives, to uh, give us hope for the future uh, and power. Uh, we thank you for this day when we commemorate and celebrate and remember that we don't uh, walk alone, that your very spirit lives in us and among us, uh, enabling and empowering the work of your kingdom to go on. So, Father, give us hope today open our eyes and our hearts to the things that you have promised to be and to do for us we pray in the name of jesus amen so you all know i worked for a summer camp for a while and we had a an activity we would do on wednesday afternoons with our students our it was like a leadership apologetics type camp and so on wednesday afternoons They've started on Sunday, they've heard like three or four days of all this great teaching about Christianity and worldviews, and so on Wednesday afternoons, we would hand them a track, and we would send them out in groups of three into a public place to do street evangelism. Uh, that The effectiveness of this street evangelism was very low, but it was very good for our students to actually begin to engage with people, to see th- this is a real thing, this isn't just a bunch of information, this is people that really do believe these things and are processing through and... So they would have these conversations, and one of the favorite tracks that we would send was, a, was about this big. It was black on the front, and in big white letters, it says, what happens when you die? It's a great way to get into a spiritual conversation really fast. Uh, it also can lead to people being combative, as some of our students found out. Um, but this question is a fascinating question to think about. I want you to answer it for yourself right now in your mind. What happens when you die? What happens when you die? What, what images are in your mind when I ask that question? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What, when you imagine, when you think about the answer to this question, what is it that you picture? For, for many of us, for me, this is a hard question. It's very uh, blurry. Maybe you've got some, like, streets of gold, or something like that, or a big pearly gate, or there's a lot of, like, really big houses. Um, I don't know what you picture. I don't, we all sort of, it's very foggy. N.T. Wright says that for most of us, that this idea of life after death is foggy and abstract and it's very hard for us to understand. And part of the reason why that is tricky and hard for us to picture is because in general, most of us affirm life after death if we would go out and talk to people and you ask, you poll unbelievers, non Christians, what do Christians believe? They would say, well, they believe there's life after death. And in general, in our evangelical circles, this typically means that we go to heaven when we die. That the goal of living here, the goal of the church, is to save souls. Or even saw in that last song, I just noticed it because I'm thinking about this, it says, the souls of all who believed in Jesus were redeemed. And we have this vision of a human being that is sort of this immortal soul wrapped in this disposable body, right? And when we die, our disposable body goes away and our immortal soul goes to heaven. And that is what I was taught. That's what I've read in many books. That's what I have always assumed is that when, what Christians believe is that when we die, our souls go to heaven and this is what we're supposed to long for. This is the hope we're supposed to have, This is in a lot of our songs, the very famous hymn, How Great Thou Art, the very last verse talks about when Jesus comes to take us home, right? We're going home to heaven. Um, There's an old audio adrenaline song I used to listen to, it was a really silly song about being in a 7-Eleven and a 747 crashing on you, and the chorus was, do you know where you're going to go? Do you know where you're going to go? And it's all about, are you going to go to the good place, or are you going to go to the Bad place, right? And so when you die, your immortal soul goes to one of these two places. This is kind of the, the way that many people, maybe some of you, even have imagined what happens after you die. There's two immediate problems I can think of with this view. The first one's very personal. It's like, I don't really want to go to that heaven. Like, is there, is there mountains I can hike there? Is there beer? Is there, is there this, the Pittsburgh Steelers are not there? God, this, this idea of the disembodied heaven, where I've mentioned this in sermons before, where we're sort of floating on the clouds and everything's happy, but it's just, I don't have a body. I don't really want to go there. It doesn't make me want to go to heaven. It doesn't want me make me want to be saved. And I've talked to a number of people who struggle with this. I don't, I'm not sure I really want to go to heaven if heaven is this disembodied place, because I can't imagine what that's like. It's like, I get to be with Jesus, but everything I know and everything I love and everything that's, that makes me me is going to be gone. And instead, I just am floating off with Jesus, and that's supposed to be really good. So that's one, it's like a personal struggle. The other problem with this is that it's not really a biblical picture of what salvation is. N.T. Wright says in his book, Surprised by Hope, there is very little in the Bible about going to heaven when you die, and not a lot about hell either. That's true. See, the early church had a very clear picture, a very clear hope of what happens when you die, and what the permanent future of Christians will be. And yet we've lost that. And we've fixated on going to heaven when you die, which is not the biblical hope. In fact, N.T. Wright has this great way of putting it. He says that the, that the hope of a Christian is life after life after death. Death is when we sep- our spirits get separated from our body, and then after that is resurrection, life after life after death. And that's the hope of Christians. And this is exactly what we find in the Creed. The final two lines in the Nicene Creed say, we look forward to, it doesn't say heaven, it doesn't say going anywhere when we die, it says the resurrection of the dead and life in the world to come. The Apostles' Creed says, in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So I have two goals today in this 2 Corinthians passage. I want to sort of let Paul from these 10 verses sort of redraw in your mind what heaven might look like using his two images. And then I want to invite you to consider with two implications from Paul of how this actually should shape our life and our mission right now. So let's jump in to the text. I forgot my Bible at home, so I have to use my phone today. Um, or I'll play Angry Birds or something else. Either way. Second Corinthians chapter 5, here we go. Paul says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling." So the first image that Paul uses to describe resurrection, to describe what happens when you die, is that right now we have this earthly, and he calls it a tent. I don't know if you've done a lot of tent camping. Chris and I asked for a tent for our wedding. We got a tent for my parents. We've never used it. Okay, apparently tenting is not something that we like to do. I think right after we got married, we lived in Texas, which is a terrible place, to tent camp. Some friends of ours invited us to a state park. We went out, we set up a tent, and all night long, you could hear the wild hogs running around the tent. Okay, if you're in a tent and there's wild hogs outside, that's a scary place to be, right? A tent is not a very safe place. A tent is weak. A tent is meant to be moved from place to place. A tent can get blown over. A tent can get wet. A, a tent is not a very solid thing. This is the imagery that Paul uses for our current earthly bodies. They're a tent. And he says in this tent, this non-permanent thing, we're groaning. We're groaning. These, these tents of our bodies, So what he's referring to, is the tent of your body, is this disintegrating thing. You know this, right? Like, we're all disintegrating. <laughs> Some people know it better than others. We're all disintegrating. Okay, our bodies are weak and frail, but it's not just our bodies. It's like everything we see and touch is weak and frail. Our vocations are weak and frail. Eventually you will lose your job because you're too old to do it anymore. Our relationships are frail. They're breaking down around us. Everything that has to do with our, our existence right now is like a tent. And so Paul compares that tent this body with a different kind of body. He says, we have a building from God. Listen to the difference. There's a tent, right? Think wild boars, not permanent, and a building, a firm foundation building from God, which he calls a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, when he writes here, he says, heavenly dwelling. I think in my mind, having read this text before, I thought that meant that we would go to heaven to live. Are you reading it that way? Like a heavenly dwelling is to go and live in heaven because I've been trained to think that we're going to go to heaven when we die. But that's not what Paul means. He's not talking about a location. He's talking about a quality. A body, a building that has a heavenly quality. Not a building that's in heaven, but building with a heavenly quality. And what is a heavenly quality? It's a body that is permanent and solid and meant to last, built built for tough, right? Built to last, an actual firm building that God is preparing for us that he's going to bring and give to us from heaven. That's why it's called a heavenly building. It's the difference between like, our, our earthly body is like a, a hot dog, and our heavenly body is like a filet mignon. Like a, there's a quality difference that he's talking about. Like we live in a hot dog, and we're yearning for a filet mignon body, a body that's like, that's, that has high quality, that doesn't break down, where we're not constantly dealing with all this falling apart. Mike came up with this, or I think he was sitting in his classroom when he came up with this, so he says, the difference between, a, you know, you use a dry erase marker and all you're writing and you're writing, and every dry erase marker that you pick up, what happens? It just doesn't work. Remember, you ever been in that situation where you're trying to teach and there's like four markers and like you try one and that one doesn't, you just keep trying. It's like, what, ha- what if you had a dry erase marker that never ran out? Right? This is the kind of quality difference that Paul is talking He's like, we live in this body where we're, we're aching and draining, and what we're hoping for and longing for is a body that doesn't run out of energy, a body that has a heavenly quality. Our hope is not in another place. Our hope is in Jesus Christ bringing heavenly bodies to earth, giving us new bodies with a heavenly quality. This so just as a point of application. Like where where do you most feel the groaning of your earthly body? Where do you feel it? Maybe some of you feel it more in your physical groaning. A lot of times, it's just in the vulnerability. But this is the tent image. We feel like at any moment something could come in and hurt us and destroy us relationally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. We're just we feel vulnerable. We feel at risk. We feel impermanent. Where do you feel that most in your life? Because Paul's saying that the hope of Christianity is that where you feel it most, Jesus is going to bring you a body that doesn't break down like that. It doesn't have that vulnerability or that impermanence. That this falling apart of our bodies is a result of sin, not as a result of being physical. And that these tents are going to be replaced From heaven, like Jesus is going to go to the heavenly storehouse of bodies and bring us one and give it to us. This is your new body that doesn't break down. Tent versus a building. This is Paul's first image. Then he switches, switches to a different metaphor. We'll start back in in verse 2. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly body, heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we won't be found. Naked. By naked, he means without a body. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. And then he says this sentence, which I love not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. If our body, in this metaphor, our body is like clothing. And he's saying our hope is not that we shed our clothing, not that we shed our body, but that we get more body, more physical body. It's like if you're if you're like just wearing your underwear, you're not fit to go to the wedding. So you don't just throw the underwear away, you put more clothes on so that you can be fit for the wedding. This is the clothing metaphor that we're going to be putting on more clothing. And this kind of you can feel how this pushes back against our understanding of life after death being going to heaven. When we die. Because the definition of death is the separation of our spirits from our bodies. Right? Death is you see a body there in the casket, and there is no spirit there. The body is dead. There has been a separation of body and spirit. And if our main hope is the moment that our body separates from our our spirit, and that's what we're taught to hope in, we're being taught to hope in death. Does that make sense? Like, we're if, if we're going to be separated from a body forever, we're going to remain in death forever. In Eden, where spiritual and material things were combined together in perfect harmony, there was no death. And death was the splitting out, the, the rending apart of the spiritual world, the heavenly world, and the material world. So now we feel this tension between our bodies where we we. It makes us want to get rid of our body because it's decaying. And we've been told over and over, I've been told over and over, we've been painted this picture that the best thing that can happen for us is to leave our body behind and to go to heaven. And yet that's not what Paul says. He says not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed. You're trying to come up with metaphors for this. This is a very inadequate one, but I thought of Iron Man. You know, like his body is, de- is decaying and becoming frail, and what does he do? He puts on this armor suit, and he's able to be what he should be beforehand, but he's decaying inside. This is like Paul is this image that we're gonna be putting on this heavenly body full of clothing, full of life. C.S. Lewis has a really amazing way of describing this, and I tried to think of a different metaphor, but I couldn't, so I figured I'd just bring his because he's C.S. Lewis, right? (laughs) Listen to this. He says, these small and perishable bodies that we have been given are given to us just like ponies are given to schoolboys. So in this metaphor, our body is like a horse that's given to a schoolboy. And he says, we must learn to manage, to ride. Not that we may someday be free of horses altogether, but that someday we may ride bareback, confident and rejoicing. With those greater horses, those winged, shining, and world-shaking horses, which perhaps even now wait with impatience, pawing and snorting in the king's stables. This image that we, right now, we have this little pony of our body that we're riding on. And in heaven, right, is a winged horse waiting for Jesus to bring him to us and give us this beautiful, amazing body to ride, to live with, the way we are supposed to be And then he says this, not that galloping with those horses would be of any value unless it was galloping with the king, but how else, since Jesus has retained his own horse, should we accompany him? This idea that Jesus took on a body so that we could take on bodies that would give us everything that we long for and want in the physical world. Paul says we're not hoping to be unclothed of our body, but to be more fully clothed. There's this tangible, physical connection that we have to the body. But right now, it doesn't feel like much. We often don't feel like we fit. We want to escape our body. This is where so much of our confusion comes from with our identity confusion and our quest for wellness and sexuality confusion. And we have all of these things because we're trying to figure out what's wrong with our bodies. And we want to fix it. We either want to fix it now or we want to escape. And the hope of Christianity is not escape from our body, but a better, renewed, full body in the new heavens and the new earth. So we bring those two images together. Verse five. We have the image of tent, and building, tent versus a building, or the image of being clothed and unclothed. And then Paul says this, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Remember Jesus in John where he says, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come back again. The place he's preparing is our is, is earth. He's preparing our bodies to bring them back to us. And so It gives us a better, more complete vision of salvation, resurrection of the body, a body that works, a body that doesn't decay, a body that doesn't break down, a body that is all the things that meets all the needs that we wish we could meet right now but can't because we live in this little tiny pony of a body. So it sheds some light. For me, it sheds some light on, hopefully for you, on our kind of thinking of going to heaven when we die. And what what that leads to is us looking around our world and kind of doing what people did after both of the last two elections. We're like, not my president, right? You heard both people do that after Trump was elected and then after Biden. That's not my president. This is like what Christians say when, that's, this is not my home, right? I'm going to heaven. That's my home. This isn't my home. And what does it lead us to do? It leads us to ignore what's going on around us because this isn't our home. Why should we care? We're running away to heaven, And our mission becomes saving souls from hell and ignoring bodies. NT Wright says we're not saved as souls but as wholes. It rhymes even, so it's easy to remember. We're not saved as souls but as wholes. Jesus is not restoring the immortal part of your soul; he's restoring you and your entire body and your entire being. Go if you go back into chapter four. If you have your Bible, just look up a couple verses. This is a famous verse right before this, chapter 4, verse 16. He, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Being renewed day by day. And when some people read that, they think, Outer self is my body, inner self is my soul. That is not at all what Paul is saying. This is the same as the old self, new self thing where he talks about in another passage where the old has gone and the new has come. What's wasting away is the way of being in the world that doesn't have heavenly power. A way of being in the world that is filled with the spirit and guided by the power of God. That's the thing that's being renewed in our whole bodies. And God is renewing not just us, but the whole creation. And so Wright summarizes by saying, salvation then is not going to heaven but being raised to life in God's new heaven and new earth. So is this, is that your hope? When you think about what you're hoping for, what you're longing for, where you're headed as an individual, is your hope a resurrected body in a new earth? Is it concrete? What's there when you envision it? Does it have real things and real people? It needs to be concrete. This was the hope that drove, I'm gonna talk about this in a second. This is the the hope that drove the early church to martyrdom. Not because they were escaping to heaven, but because they knew that they were going to get a real new body. So with that image, then Paul just, he, he draws two quick conclusions, two implications for what that means for how we live right now. Verse 5, verse 6, he says, so we are always of good courage. We're always of good courage. If we have this hope that no matter what happens, if this earthly tent gets destroyed, we have a heavenly building from God. So we're of good courage. In these next two verses, Paul is wrestling with the reality that even though that's his hope, he still has to face death. He still has to go through the separation for a time of body and soul. This is, side note, what theologians call the intermediate state. Life after death is a very short time period where we're disembodied. Not our final hope. And Paul says, I, I don't want to have to do that separation of body and spirit thing. But I'm encouraging myself that even if I do, I'm going to be with Jesus. But that's not his final hope. His final hope is then the resurrection of his body and Jesus being back on earth together. He's feeling the tension of having to go through death, but he's saying, be of good courage. Immediately following that separation of body and spirit, we will be with Jesus, and then we will be resurrected, which is the hope of the scriptures and of all Christians. We shouldn't make light of death. Death is a terrible, horrible, unnatural thing. I've been to to funerals recently where we've tried to make death feel as... Like as good as possible, we like we we change the name now to celebration of life, and we we don't really we don't really mourn the fact that there is a terrible separation of body and spirit that has happened here. This is unnatural. It's wrong. It's terrible. The hope is not that death isn't bad. The hope the hope is that resurrection is coming. So in the midst of this, be of good courage. Are you of good courage? Whatever is happening to your physical body, are you of good courage? Whatever is happening in your relationships, in your job, in your interacting with the world, be of good courage. But the second implication, look at verse nine. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please the Lord, Jesus And then verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Far from Paul's hope turning him away from what's happening around him, it's encouraging him to care all the more about what's happening around him. Do you see that? Everything that we do in this body, this body, we are going to be called in to Jesus for. And this isn't a mercenary payment. Judah just got, you got a little watch, and we can write chores on there. And when he does his chore, I can click that he did his chore, and he gets one coin, one fake coin in his little watch. Right? That coin has no natural connection to whatever the chore that he did was. Right? It's not, I mean, same thing with work. You go to work, you do your job, you get paid money. It has nothing to do with the actual work of your hands most of the, t- most of the time. Instead, what the scriptures see is this organic connection between what we do now and what happens in the, in the heavenly world because this world is the world that Jesus is renewing. Plant a seed in this world and it blooms in the heavenly earth. There's an organic connection between what we do here and what is happening in this world. This body that you have is the body that's gonna be resurrected. Remember, Jesus shows his hands to the disciples and they see the scars in his body. What you do with your body now matters because it's that body that is going to be resurrected. And so what you do with your body now will show in the heavenly earth. That's the connection he's making. What you reap now, you will sow. What you plant will grow. What you don't plant won't grow. As we know that this earth is the earth that's being renewed, what we do now is the things that grow. What we plant now is the things that grow. That's the gardening metaphor. You can use an investment, right? Whatever you invest now is going to grow or not grow in the world as Jesus renews it. Jesus is renewing space, he's renewing time, he's renewing stuff, he's renewing our bodies. As we live in this world, everything we touch, everything we do is planting seeds that will grow or not grow into the heavenly earth. It it brings this amazing importance to every single moment of every single day. Because it's not you're doing good things and you're gonna get paid for them later, it's that you're you're planting seeds that are now going to grow and be renewed. C.S. Lewis famously in Mere Christianity said, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the world to come. Why? Because it's the same world. It's the same world. The reason why thinking about the heavenly world makes us care about this world is because they're the same world. It's this world that's being renewed, it's this body that's being renewed, it's this universe that Jesus is claiming. This leads us to mission, to caring about every single thing we touch, every person we come in contact with, every job we do, to care about creation because God is renewing creation, to care about people because God is renewing people, and to care about them as whole beings, not disembodied souls. My goal for as a pastor of this congregation is not to make sure that you believe in Jesus, it's to see that all of your life is being is coming under the care of the Holy Spirit to be renewed because that's what God is doing. That's what we should do for one another. It means that we take care to teach God's kingdom. We talked about this when we looked at Mark. The message is repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom of God is here. That Jesus taking on a body brought that heavenly power to earth now and is beginning the seeds of renewing all things. The creed says we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and life in the world to come. We're commanded to be courageous and hopeful. We're commanded to pursue renewal and to see People coming under the Lordship of Jesus and every single thing we do, every job we do, every person we meet, every conversation we have is planting seeds that can grow into fruit of the kingdom in the coming world. I just wanted to close with this from, this is Fox's Book of Martyrs. You may have heard of it before. It's a collection of um, stories of martyrdom throughout the church. This is just, and this is, It's a large book. This is just from the the apostles. He says of Matthew that he suffered martyrdom being slain in a city near Nabada. James, at the age of 94, was beaten and stoned by the Jews and finally had his brain dashed out with a club. Matthias was stoned at Jerusalem. Andrew was crucified on a cross. St. Mark was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria and Egypt. We know Peter, crucified upside down. Paul himself came and was led away out of the city to the place of execution, where he, after his prayers made, gave his neck to the sword. At the end of this list of apostles. He writes this, and yet, notwithstanding all these continual persecutions and horrible punishments, the church daily increased, deeply rooted in the doctrine of the apostles and apostolic men, and watered plenteously with the blood of saints. There's only one way that happens. That's if we believe in the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body and life in the world to come. Let's be people and let's be a church that believe that God is renewing all things and hope in a concrete resurrection of our bodies. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us this vision, this vision that Paul had that seems abstract and far off, that's hard to get our minds around, of a heavenly building, of being more fully clothed. God, give us images in our mind by your spirit of what it means and what it looks like for us to be renewed human beings. Let it get us up in the morning with a vision of your kingship and your lordship and the very presence of your kingdom that makes us want to see your kingdom come, that we can actually pray the prayer that you taught us to pray, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Allow us to be uh, building for your kingdom, trusting that you will do it, that you indeed will build your kingdom, that you will come and restore and redeem all things. Let us hope in that, and let us participate as you have invited us to. Make us courageous. Let us be in this story where every single day of our lives is animated by the glory and the goodness of what you are doing. We pray it in the name of Christ, who, uh, upon whose blood all of this stands. Amen.